after five years and over 15,000 listeners, Politics Weekly has finally hit its 100th episode. You can listen to the 100th episode now, featuring interviews from YouTuber Red Eagle Politics, former Minnesota Congressman Colin Peterson, and former Vermont Governor Jim Douglas. Make sure to check out the 100th episode of Politics Weekly now, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey everyone, welcome to Politics Weekly. Politics Weekly is a weekly nonpartisan podcast featuring some of the biggest names in politics and portraying some of the biggest political stories of the week through both left and right-leaning lenses. Hosted by award-winning journalist Nolan Cleary, the former editor-in-chief of the Hudsonian newspaper, Politics Weekly has been listened to by over 15,000 people worldwide. The views expressed by guests on our show are not necessarily the views expressed by the host, Nolan Cleary. Hey everybody, welcome back to Politics Weekly. Uh, Today we have a very special guest, California Underground. Uh, Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So um, his podcast is about uh, local California politics. Uh, Do you want to explain a little bit more about what you do on your show? Sure. I uh, started this show about four years ago um, because... I'm into politics, but I hadn't really seen a lot of people talking specifically about California politics and local politics and what's going on at the state legislature and stuff like that. Um, Especially because California is such an interesting place for politics. There's so so many wacky and zany things that happen here um, that I just thought it was really interesting. There's more than enough material to always talk about every single week when it comes to California. So let me ask you this. I know that there have been some uh, talks about a potential uh, 2024 uh, run for your governor, Ka- uh, Governor uh, Gavin Newsom. What are your thoughts on those rumors as somebody who's from California and covers California politics? Well, uh, the thing about Gavin Newsom you have to know is that he has always, since the beginning of his career, uh, always, he's always been reaching for that next brass ring. And it's very evident from his days as county supervisor, when he was the county supervisor for San Francisco. Um, Then he moved into mayor of San Francisco. And then I think from mayor, uh, you could feel that he was already on a trajectory to be governor of California. It was sort of like a foregone conclusion. He went on to be lieutenant governor under Jerry Brown. Now he's governor. So Gavin Newsom is one of those politicians who's always looking for the next brass ring. And I called it months ago. I said, look, this guy's running. Uh, there's no way to hide it and then now all of a sudden the chatter is starting to come out more and more especially with the way he's attacking Ron DeSantis in Florida and trying to juxtapose California versus red states as if California is way better than a lot of these red states um, so yeah I, I think he's absolutely going to run do I think he has a shot to actually go anywhere that's tough to say um, he may be incredibly popular here in California I 
venture to say that he's probably not going to be as popular in places like Iowa or New Hampshire, which are more moderate. But he has been moderating a lot of his positions recently to, I think, with that idea of running for president someday. For example, he just vetoed a bill that would have allowed for open drug use sites um, in Los Angeles and San Francisco to help addicts get to these safe drug use sites. Um, the government would basically set them up, help fund them, give them clean needles, allow them to continue using drugs that are technically still illegal. Um, but yeah, I think he vetoed that mostly because he has ambitions to be in the White House someday. All right. Well, let's get into some of the big political stories uh, of the week. Uh, so recently, uh, President Joe Biden uh, announced uh, a student uh, $20,000 uh, student loan uh, forgiveness uh, for some uh, Americans uh, who make uh, over $125,000 in uh, income, uh, in yearly income. Um, this has been receiving uh, backlash, or this received uh, backlash from some people and praise from others. Um, many Republicans have been lambasting the move, as one could expect. Uh, some Democrats, uh, too, uh, specifically those running for Senate, have been uh, critical of the move. Uh, Congressman Tim Ryan, currently the Democratic nominee, uh, for United States Senate in Ohio uh, has been very critical uh, of Joe Biden's uh, move on this matter, uh, whereas other uh, people have been praising uh, the decision. Um, uh, what are your thoughts uh, on the recent student loan uh, forgiveness uh, program introduced by President Joe Biden? That's funny that you asked. I actually just talked about this recently on a podcast. Um, the issue I have with the student loan forgiveness is it doesn't address the root cause of what's going on with student loans in this country. And every Democrat from Gavin Newsom to Joe Biden to everybody has all praised this decision as some sort of huge win. And this is great. This is, uh, you know, this is very equitable. And they love to throw that word around equitable and equity. Uh, this will help, help working class families, not necessarily. It may help actually more, uh, I, I guess, well, privileged families. Uh, but the issue is, is that schools are not all of a sudden just going to say, oh, they have to forgive the loans. So I guess we'll lower tuition. Tuition has outpaced inflation uh, for the past 40 years. And it's mostly due to the fact that, especially in the rise in the past how many years since President Obama put this sort of new federal uh, loan program into place, there's no need to lower tuition. You can continue to raise tuition. You know the federal government's going to hand out these these loans like candy on Halloween. And with that in mind, they know I can just keep raising the tuition every single year, year over year. Nothing's going to stop. And these kids will continue to take it out. And there's absolutely no pushback. There's nobody checking these kids for credit. There's nothing going on to slow the, the, the faucet of this. So the fact that he says, oh, I'm going to throw you a bone for $10,000, which... For some people, maybe a drop in the bucket, maybe for some people it makes a big difference. At the end of the day, it doesn't change that the root cause is that colleges and universities have just gone off the rails when it comes to tuition. Uh, and it needs to be, that needs to be really looked at. And we need to basically get government completely out of this uh, student loan 
program, it needs to go back to evaluating whether students are going to be able to pay back these loans. I mean, it's crazy that a kid who's 18, just turned 18, can walk into a school and say, I'm going to go to school and give me $60,000. And the federal government goes, yeah, no problem. The bank gives you the money, no problem. They pay the, the school and they don't ask, well, why are you going to school? What are you going to major in? What are you going to plan on doing with it? Kids can go into college and say, oh, I'm undeclared. I'm undecided. I don't even have, I'm just here already because I need to be in college. And they'll give you a loan. But if you're a student, if you're 18 years old and you go to ask for a house or ask for a loan for a house, the bank will look at you like you're crazy. They'll say, okay, well, what's your credit? Well, I don't have any credit because I'm 18. Well, what's your job? Um, I don't know. I make $20 an hour working at in and out or something. Okay, well, we're not going to give you a loan for a house. But they'll easily hand over two, $300,000 to a kid to go to school. So without fixing the root problem, I mean, this is really just a Band-Aid on an axe wound at this point. All right. Uh, well, let's move on to a recent uh, story. Uh, President Joe Biden recently uh, gave a speech in front of a number of service members uh, in which he uh, basically laid out a uh, a call to action, uh, specifically uh, somewhat in, re in regards to the midterms. Uh, but when he he was mainly talking about um, uh, people in the Republican Party who are quote unquote MAGA Republicans, uh, he said during that speech uh, that they were quote a threat to democracy, uh, and that uh, MAGA Republicans were not a majority of the Republican Party. Um, this received. Uh, backlash from a lot of Republicans uh, and many conservative commentators. Uh, many uh, argued that Joe Biden uh, was not unifying the country and that the speech was divisive. Uh, meanwhile, uh, others uh, on the left have praised the speech. They've said that it was inspiring and necessary uh, Joe Biden did walk back part of his speech the next day, saying he does not believe uh, individuals who support uh, or supported President Donald Trump uh, are threats to democracy. What are your thoughts on Joe Biden's speech? Uh, well, this was, uh, you know, I, first off, I didn't even know this speech was happening. I saw the images all over social media afterwards, and I'm looking at the images, and I'm going... What in, what in the dystopian heck is going on here? And it just looked that, I, I don't know if they planned it that way and they tried to, they zoomed out and said, oh, well, the Independence Hall is always red, white, and blue. They just cropped in on the red, okay? Well, maybe show all red, white, and blue and don't crop in on just the red. But either way, the optics looked bad. The black and red, the flanked by two Marines looked bad. Uh, you know, a lot of people were kind of comparing it to like the, Star Wars of first, what is it, the First Order or whatever, the New Order or whatever. Um, I, you know, a lot of people were comparing it to Nazi Germany, the look. But I think this is one thing Democrats are, cleverly do, which is they try and say, um, and, you know, bring it back to someone like Gavin Newsom. He recently had a TikTok where he lambasted Republicans and their policies and saying, you know, here in California, we don't other people. You know, we don't other people here in California. It's all about love and inclusion. 
But try being a MAGA Republican here in California. Walk down the street in L.A. or San Francisco with a red MAGA hat on and see how much love and inclusion there is. So Democrats are very good about saying, oh, we don't other people. We're all about inclusion. But this whole speech was about othering. It was about saying it was basically shaming those who had supported Donald Trump to hear your president say you're an enemy of the state. You've been wrapped up in lies. Um, it was such an odd speech to think that this would unite the country when, in fact, I think it just divided and, and strengthened the steel of those who supported Donald Trump and those who may be on the fence and say, this is really a horrible, horrible look. And of course, now they're going to walk it back because they saw the reaction from a lot of the media. And they say, well, no, 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 we don't mean every MAGA Republican everybody voted for, but that's what you call them. If you call everybody who's a MAGA Republican, you assume those are the people who support Donald Trump. And you have essentially called everybody who supported Donald Trump an enemy of the state. Then you've called 70, 80 million people enemies of the state in the United States of America. It was one of the oddest speeches I've ever seen. And again, I, I'm not sure Joe Biden really knew what he was saying or fully comprehended what he was saying. Um, but it was the one of the oddest speeches I've seen in a while. And if their goal was to unite the country, well, they may have united people who hate Trump against MAGA Republicans. It doesn't unite the entire United States. And if it rallies his base, I mean, mission accomplished, it rallied his base, but there's probably a lot of moderate Democrats who kind of looked at that and said, I don't know if I feel good about this. Like, this isn't the Democratic Party that I signed up for. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to the next story. With that being said, Democrats just scored a major uh, political win in a special election in Alaska, uh, in the state of Alaska. Uh, remember, the uh, sole House seat, the sole U.S. House seat in uh, Alaska was held by Don Young, uh, a Republican from 1973 up until earlier this year when he died. Um, Young was uh, the last remaining member of Congress in either chamber uh, who went to Congress before the Watergate scandal happened. Uh, his death triggered a special election uh, for the sole U.S. House seat uh, in Alaska. Um, in uh, Among the candidates, uh, now it should be noted, Alaska recently introduced ranked choice voting uh, in a four-person primary. Uh, the way that works is that the top four candidates uh, running um, uh, get placed in the top four, uh, regardless of party affiliation, um, and uh, and um, people also judge, people eliminate uh, candidates uh, if they don't get into the top two. It's basically like a way of uh, musical chairs, but when a, uh, a candidate is eliminated, their votes go to whoever was placed second on the ballot. Uh, so originally, the top four candidates uh, included uh, Sarah Palin, the governor of Alaska, uh, Mary Peltola, a Democrat who is a former state lawmaker, uh, Nick Begich III, an activist, and, uh, and attorney Al Gross. Al Gross dropped out. Uh, that uh, left the race between 
uh, Begich uh, and uh, Palin and uh, Peltola. Begich and Palin were Republicans. Peltola was a Democrat. Ultimately, uh, Peltola came out on top. Peltola won the election. Uh, Peltola made abortion uh, one of the biggest issues uh, of her campaign. Uh, many Republicans have cried foul about this. Uh, they argue that Republicans got over 60% of the vote when you combine Begich and Palin's numbers, uh, but that doesn't matter because uh, Peltola is the projected uh, winner. This is a big upset. Uh, Donald Trump won this uh, district or won the state of Alaska by 10%. Um, and obviously, Republicans are hoping uh, for a red wave this year. Uh, this result would seem to suggest otherwise. Obviously, uh, some uh, Democrats uh, are hoping that the Dobbs versus Jackson decision on abortion will energize their base. What are your thoughts on Democrats scoring a political win in Alaska? Well, it's interesting that they're ready to uh, strike up the ban in the ticker tape parade about one special election congressional seat when they completely downplayed a special election with Myra Flores, who was down in Texas, uh, the first Mexican-born uh, representative elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, her win was in a district that was long Democrat, and she flipped it, and a lot of people said, oh, this is the sign that more Hispanics are going red, uh, those parts of Texas are going red, uh, reliable blue districts are going red, um, and a lot of people on the left said, oh, it's not a big deal, she'll only be there for a couple months, it's, it's not really indicative of the red wave in general. So again, they're talking out both sides of their mouth. A lot of these things, I think people kind of look at like from a bird's eye view and they don't look at maybe the specifics. Now, I didn't follow this race as much as uh, most people did because it's all the way up in Alaska and I focus on California politics. Um, but the one thing I would say is Sarah Palin is a unique uh, politician and a lot of people either love her or hate her. I mean, there's an issue of maybe that played a role. Maybe people just stayed home and they weren't really inspired by either candidate. Um, it's, it's not a slam dunk just because someone is endorsed by Donald Trump. And he's had sort of a mixed bag of endorsements. Some There's some people that he's endorsed who've gotten through. Um, I'm trying to think of like big seats like Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. He's gotten through the general election. There's a lot of Republicans who didn't get through because Trump endorsed them. And it's, it's because we're not really focused on the granular of these districts and what happened. What are the demographics? What are the numbers? Um, what are the issues that matter with these specific voters? It's easy to kind of look at it from, you know, a thousand, two thousand miles away and go, oh, this is a sign that obviously the red wave isn't happening. And likewise, you could look at Myra Flores and go, oh, no, this is a sign that the red wave is happening. So I, I obviously a disappointing loss for the Republicans, but I wouldn't strike up the band if I was the Democrats right now, especially when your president is President Joe Biden and he gives that speech. I think that tampers all excitement about that win. Um, and who knows? I mean, the Dow is continuing to fall like a rock. Um, the economy could get a lot worse in a month. Um, we're, we're definitely headed, no matter what the economists say and how many times they try and change the definition, we're definitely headed into a recession if we're not already in a technical recession. Um, so, you know, 
Good for them. Lucky for that Democrat. Uh, but I think probably next time around that there's an actual election for that seat, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes back to Republican. Just like I wouldn't be surprised with my Flores if that goes back to Democrat. I wouldn't be surprised by either outcome because these are special elections. Now, let me ask you this. Um, since the Dobbs v. Jackson decision, obviously Democrats are hoping that decision on abortion will turn out their base. Uh, there have been multiple special elections uh, where Republicans have seen uh, underperformances. Uh, in Nebraska, uh, in the second district, there was an, a special election right after Dobbs. Uh, Trump won that district by 15%. The Republican there only won <clears throat> by 5%. Um, in the state uh, of Minnesota, there was a special election in a district that Donald Trump won by 10%. The Republican there only won it by 4%. Uh, in the state of uh, New York, uh, there were two special elections. Uh, there was one special election uh, in uh, a district Donald Trump uh, won by about uh, 15%. Uh, the uh, Republican uh, there only won it by 5%. Um, and then there was another uh, special election uh, in a district. Joe Biden only barely won by a point. Most polls showed the Republican would flip that. The Democrat ended up winning there and slightly overperforming Biden there. And now you have this victory in Alaska. Um, do you think the fact that Republicans are pretty vastly underperforming uh, Joe Biden in some of these, uh, in a number of special elections, do you think that that is a worrying sign for the Republican Party uh, going into November? Yeah, the thing is, again, it's special elections are a completely different beast. Um, to give you an example, here we had the recall of Gavin Newsom last year. Uh, before Larry Elder jumped into the race and Gavin Newsom painted Larry Elder as the blackface of white supremacy and the big Donald Trumper, um, no one really cared about the recall because it was an off-season election. There was a lot of apathy. It looked like it was actually going to be pretty close. It didn't look like you know Gavin Newsom had a slam dunk. But my point is, is that voters are an interesting block of uh, a block of people because. They are motivated motivated by by different things to get their butts to the polls. Um, you mentioned that there are a lot of districts where Donald Trump won by fifteen points or more than double digits. Uh, Donald Trump obviously has a good track record of getting people to the polls. He got people excited. It's a presidential election. It's something that um, people obviously pay attention to every four years. All of a sudden, everyone cares about the elections, and while they're at it, they vote for Donald Trump, and then they go down the ballot and they vote red for the rest of the ballot. Again, a lot of people just kind of go with Team Blue or Team Red. Um, so special elections are sort of this interesting beast where you could kind of read the tea leaves and see like, oh, well, they, they didn't perform as well as Trump. But these people who are winning are not Donald Trump. And it's hard to get people out to the polls. But regardless, these Republicans still won districts that were, were won by Donald Trump. Um, districts that were barely won by Biden, that Democrat won that district. So again, it comes down to the granular of these voters in these districts. Um, I think a lot of the the noise about these 
elections comes down to they want to i mean the ultimate goal is they want to raise money they want to scare their voters into oh they flipped the district and we're on the verge and maybe we don't have a red wave so republicans donate uh then the same email goes out about dobbs and jackson that you know we have to protect a woman's right to choose and that email goes out and raises a lot of money so i think special elections are an interesting thing i think a lot of the media blows them out of proportion into oh well they're underperforming but yeah donald trump is is not you know joe smith running for this special election seat in a you know a small district in the middle of the country um, it's it's a completely different dynamic, and to compare presidential election years to special elections, when engagement and voter participation is always always way down, um, I wouldn't look too much into it. If Republicans are winning the districts that they're winning, that they're supposed to win, good for them. If Democrats are winning the districts they're supposed to win, good for them as well. Um, but it would be it would be more interesting if these special elections had districts where Donald Trump won by 15 points and then Democrats were sweeping them. That would be an interesting trend to look at and go, why are Democrats taking all these districts that Donald Trump won by more than double digits? Um, but until that, I, I think it says a little bit, but I don't know if it says as much as people think it says. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Uh, so let's move on to uh, the next story. Uh, so, uh, President uh, Donald Trump, uh, former President Donald Trump, recently uh, said that he he recently revealed that he is uh, financially supporting uh, some people who were arrested uh, for entering the Capitol on January sixth, two thousand and twenty one. He said that he is uh, financially supporting some of them in their legal efforts. Uh, many of them have uh, faced charges. Uh, for entering into the uh, Capitol on January 6, 2021. Um, and when asked uh, if uh, President Trump were to ever go back to office, uh, would he, um, would he uh, pardon uh, some of these people, he said he would strongly uh, consider doing that. Uh, of course, Donald Trump is considered uh, a leading contender for the Republican nomination uh, in 2024, assuming he chooses to run. Uh, if he does run and wins uh, the election, he would be just the second president in history after Grover Cleveland to serve two non-consecutive terms. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on President Trump uh, saying this about uh, January 6th, uh, people who entered into the Capitol on January 6th? January 6th, I approached this um, as an attorney, which is my day job outside of the podcast. Um, it, it's kind of simple as if, if they committed a crime, let's say there is a statute, there's a penal code in Washington for that specific area says if you break and enter into a federal building, it's considered uh, a felony or a misdemeanor, uh, then they should be charged as such, as the code says, because you broke the law. You broke the law because it's on the books, and this is the punishment you should face. Now, the issue I have with it, though, is it's not being treated as such. Um, they're treated more like combatants of war, more like people who they sent to Guantanamo, 
um, people who have been put into solitary confinement, people who have had a delay in a trial and representation. Those issues don't stick well with me um, because it worries me that things like your Sixth Amendment right, your Fifth Amendment right, they're all being kind of trampled on in these specific cases. And I don't know if it's specific because they were Donald Trump supporters and because it's January 6th. Uh, but my feeling is if you broke the law, fine. Get him representation, get him a public defender, let him go to trial, let him get a plea deal, let him face their punishment, and that's it. And let's move on from this. But if they're being held unnecessarily long, um, then that's an issue under the Constitution that I worry about because who knows when's the next time they can just say, and especially after the speech this past week, who's to say that the federal government can't just start pointing out and say, oh, well, you're an enemy of the state, so uh, we're going to suspend habeas corpus, and, and therefore uh, we can detain you as long as possible, we can delay your trial as long as possible, we won't give you representation, we'll just throw you away in a hole and forget about you and, and throw away the key. That's the stuff I worry about. Um, if Donald Trump wants to support him, I mean, that's up to him. Uh, I know a lot of people probably don't have the money to pay for fancy top-notch criminal defense attorneys. They can't get expensive. You know, you know, public defenders are not always the best solution, especially serious crimes like this. Um, whether they get pardoned, I don't know if it's a good idea to pardon them because they still broke the law if they trespassed on the property. So I don't know if that's a good look to say they would pardon it. But again, we're in, we're in murky waters here where one side you know, each other side is basically pointing at the other saying, you're what's wrong with this country and you're enemies of the state and you're enemies of the country. So, um, I mean, we're basically in this weird sort of cold civil war of red versus blue and every chance they can get to deem the other side of an enemy of the country, that's what's happening on both sides. All right, California Underground, thank you again for joining me. Uh, before you go, uh, do you want to tell people where, uh, A, they can listen to your podcast, and B, uh, where uh, they can follow, if you have any social media, where people can follow you? Uh, yeah, sure. So you can listen to the podcast. It's just California Underground. You can search on Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, basically anywhere. Anchor is another place as well, but Spotify is usually the most popular people go for for podcasts or Apple. Um, that comes out twice a week. I do a Wednesday morning live, uh, on Instagram where you can also follow me at California underground where we sit and chat and talk about California politics, uh, over coffee. It's done at 9 a.m. And then Thursday night, we do a live show over on YouTube where we have a guest on and we kind of sit and chat and talk more long depth into politics. Um, so it's a bi-weekly podcast. You can follow me on Instagram, California underground, also Twitter as well. Uh, and that's basically it. Those are my most active places. All right. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you. All right. Make sure to tune in next week for another new episode of Politics Weekly next Tuesday. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Politics Weekly. Politics Weekly is a weekly nonpartisan podcast featuring some of the biggest names in politics and portraying some of the biggest political stories of the week through both left and right-leaning lenses. 
Hosted by award-winning journalist Nolan Cleary, the former editor-in-chief of the Hudsonian newspaper, Politics Weekly has been listened to by over 15,000 people worldwide. The views expressed by guests on our show are not necessarily the views expressed by the host, Nolan Cleary. Hey everyone, welcome to Politics Weekly. Politics Weekly is a weekly nonpartisan podcast featuring some of the biggest names in politics and portraying some of the biggest political stories of the week through both left and right leaning lenses. Hosted by award winning journalist Nolan Cleary, the former editor in chief of the Hudsonian newspaper, Politics Weekly has been listened to by over 15,000 people worldwide. The views expressed by guests on our show are not necessarily the views expressed by the host, Nolan Cleary. Hey everyone, welcome to Politics Weekly. Politics Weekly is a weekly nonpartisan podcast featuring some of the biggest names in politics and portraying some of the biggest political stories of the week through both left and right leaning lenses. Hosted by award winning journalist Nolan Cleary, the former editor in chief of the Hudsonian newspaper, Politics Weekly has been listened to by over 15,000 people worldwide. The views expressed by guests on our show are not necessarily the views expressed by the host, Nolan Cleary. Hey everyone, welcome to Politics Weekly. Politics Weekly is a weekly nonpartisan podcast featuring some of the biggest names in politics and portraying some of the biggest political stories of the week through both left and right leaning lenses. Hosted by award winning journalist Nolan Cleary, the former editor in chief of the Hudsonian newspaper, Politics Weekly has been listened to by over 15,000 people worldwide. The views expressed by guests on our show are not necessarily the views expressed by the host, Nolan Cleary. Hey everyone, welcome to Politics Weekly. Politics Weekly is a weekly nonpartisan podcast featuring some of the biggest names in politics and portraying some of the biggest political stories of the week through both left and right leaning lenses. Hosted by award winning journalist Nolan Cleary, the former editor in chief of the Hudsonian newspaper, Politics Weekly has been listened to by over 15,000 people worldwide. The views expressed by guests on our show are not necessarily the views expressed by the host, Nolan Cleary. Hey everyone, welcome to Politics Weekly. 
Politics Weekly is a weekly nonpartisan podcast featuring some of the biggest names in politics and portraying some of the biggest political stories of the week through both left and right leaning lenses. Hosted by award winning journalist Nolan Cleary, the former editor in chief of the Hudsonian newspaper, Politics Weekly has been listened to by over 15,000 people worldwide. The views expressed by guests on our show are not necessarily the views expressed by the host, Nolan Cleary. Hey everyone, welcome to Politics Weekly. Politics Weekly is a weekly nonpartisan podcast featuring some of the biggest names in politics and portraying some of the biggest political stories of the week through both left and right leaning lenses. Hosted by award winning journalist Nolan Cleary, the former editor in chief of the Hudsonian newspaper, Politics Weekly has been listened to by over 15,000 people worldwide. The views expressed by guests on our show are not necessarily the views expressed by the host, Nolan Cleary. Hey everyone, welcome to Politics Weekly. Politics Weekly is a weekly nonpartisan podcast featuring some of the biggest names in politics and portraying some of the biggest political stories of the week through both left and right leaning lenses. Hosted by award winning journalist Nolan Cleary, the former editor in chief of the Hudsonian newspaper, Politics Weekly has been listened to by over 15,000 people worldwide. The views expressed by guests on our show are not necessarily the views expressed by the host, Nolan Cleary. Hey everyone, welcome to Politics Weekly. Politics Weekly is a weekly nonpartisan podcast featuring some of the biggest names in politics and portraying some of the biggest political stories of the week through both left and right leaning lenses. Hosted by award winning journalist Nolan Cleary, the former editor in chief of the Hudsonian newspaper, Politics Weekly has been listened to by over 15,000 people worldwide. The views expressed by guests on our show are not necessarily the views expressed by the host, Nolan Cleary. Hey everyone, welcome to Politics Weekly. Politics Weekly is a weekly nonpartisan podcast featuring some of the biggest names in politics and portraying some of the biggest political stories of the week through both left and right leaning lenses. Hosted by award winning journalist Nolan Cleary, the former editor in chief of the Hudsonian newspaper, Politics Weekly has been listened to by over 15,000 people worldwide. The views expressed by guests on our show are not necessarily the views expressed by the host, Nolan Cleary.
Right, let me just recap that real quick. So um, uh, Ben Sass, uh, a senator from Nebraska, has announced his retirement from the United States Senate. He will resign uh, after he was selected to be the president uh, of the University of Florida. Uh, current Republican governor of Nebraska, Pete Ricketts, will uh, select his replacement if he chooses to resign before January. Uh, if not, either the Republican or the Democrat, depending on who wins the Nebraska governor's race this year, will choose his replacement since Ricketts is also leaving in January. This will open up a special election in 2024. Um, some students at the University of Florida have uh, expressed, uh, they've been protesting his conservative uh, voting record. Uh, Sass responded to their protest by saying, I don't agree with them, but that's just what it is. Um, Sass is known to be one of the more moderate members of the United States Senate. He was one of, uh, he was one of uh, just seven Republicans in the United States Senate to vote for Donald Trump's conviction during the second impeachment trial of then-President Donald Trump. Uh, what are your thoughts on Ben Sass resigning from the Senate? First of all, I uh, spent 25 years in Miami, so I hate the Gators. Um, but I understand Ben Sass to be a moderate, and uh, it must be tough to be a college president when you're not in line with the students you're trying to, to uh, govern. So it's going to be tough for him. Uh, if he resigns to go take that position, I think it'll be up to him to decide how he's going to deal with the populace of Florida. Uh, because it's a very liberal, it's a very liberal college, and uh, it's going to be tough for a moderate to be in charge of a liberal, a liberal institution. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to the last story I have on my bucket list. Uh, Congressman and uh, Republican nominee for New York Governor Lee Zeldin. There was recently a shooting outside of his house. Uh, the shooting happened when Zeldin and his wife were away from his house, uh, but both of his teenaged daughters, his teenage twin daughters, uh, were at the house. Um, they called 911 immediately after hearing gunshots uh, outside. Um, Zeldin, uh, this is the uh, second attack that's happened uh, near Zeldin, or the second threat that's happened around Zeldin. Earlier this year, uh, there was uh, a man uh, who, at a Lee Zeldin rally, who uh, jumped on stage, said, you're done, and uh, seemingly uh, stuck a knife up to Lee Zeldin, although he was stopped. Uh, Zeldin is uh, running this year to unseat uh, incumbent Governor Kathy Hochul, who took office after uh, then-Governor Andrew Cuomo resigned uh, over sexual misconduct allegations. Uh, Zeldin is hoping to be the first Republican since 2002 uh, to win a governorship in New York. Uh, NolanCleary.com currently rates the New York governor's race as safe Democratic. What are your thoughts uh, on uh, this uh, recent incident? Well, I think it's pretty evident that to be a public servant, uh, to be a public official these days is very difficult, no matter what. You've got to really commit to having people attack. Um, you've got to commit to uh, 
being able to take all sorts of abuse because people now uh, have no problem fronting anyone anywhere and there's an underlying attack on politicians in general in both parties. So I, I commend him for, for running for the office. Uh, I hope that he and his family stay safe. But you, if you're going to run for office in America today, you better be prepared for anything to happen. All right. Well, Kim Curry, thank you again for uh, joining me today. Uh, before you go, do you want to tell people where you can be found on the Internet, on social media, and uh, how people can uh, listen to you or get some of your books? It's very simple to find me. I'm at krcurry.com. All the information on my books are there. I've got different podcasts and some editorials that I've written up there. You can also follow me on Facebook at K.R. Curry, the author. And you can follow me on Instagram at K.R. Curry, the author. All right. Thank you, sir.